This episode is sponsored by Fawn's Music. Do you guys remember when we used to hook up the laptop to the TV to play songs from Spotify at our parties? Yes, because I opened your email and saw those pictures you sent to your husband. Wait, I mean, nope, I don't remember that at all. Bet, bet you wish you had a Fonz coaster back then. Damn straight I do. With Fonz music coasters, my parties are going to rock on all night long, and I won't have to share my laptop or even touch my phone. My friends can just tap their phone on the coaster and cue up a song on Spotify. Your parties are going to be next level awesome. Hell yeah! Make your parties next level awesome and get $5 off with our special code OLDTIMEY at FONZMUSIC.COM. F-O-N-Z MUSIC.COM. That's OLDTIMEY so they know OLDTIMEY CRIMEY sent ya. Hello, listeners. Christy here. I wanted to give you a heads up to check out your feed on Saturday, April 24th. That's tomorrow, if you're listening to this on release day, for a very special event we're doing called the Historical True Crime Showcase. It features a mini-episode from us, as well as amazing mini-episodes from a variety of podcasts we're sure you'll love, if you don't love them already all talking about our favorite things, history and true crime. So be sure to check it out. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. It's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. Yeah, <laughs> I can taste collars. And I'm Amber. That, that's Scott tasting collars, in case you didn't know, which you probably did. So, and this is your favorite historical true crime podcast where we dig into the bad old days and tell you about an interesting crime from back then. Before we get started, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And over there you can find our weekly bonus episodes that we do where one of us tells the other two about a crime they didn't know about. And as well as, well as our full, longer, monthly bonus episodes. So that's five bonus episodes every month for the low, low price of just $5 a month. You hey, look Christy. at that. Five for five. You heard Christy. Fuller. Longer. Yeah, I was trying to think of another word to tack onto there. My brain just blanked out. So, so yeah, <laughs> there is some welcome to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really good stuff over there. I just told Scott and Amber about a kind of bonkers prank that somebody committed in New York City in the 1880s that was pretty incredible. The lengths that one man went to to harass another man, <laughs> a man of the cloth at that. So. So yeah, you should definitely go check that out. Give it a try. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul. But there is so much material there for you to binge. And we really do think that you'll like it. And we love, love, love our patrons. You'll also get a shout out on the show and on your birthday if you let us know when that is or the week of your birthday. So this week we are talking about Walburga 
Oestreich. Such a pretty name. Mm-hmm. I know. It's German beautiful. truly is the language of love. Yeah. So a lot of people called her Dolly, and that's just easier. So I went with that throughout my research. Now, I'm actually going to start, I'm going to fast forward a little bit in her life to August of 1922 with this this one big event that happened. And then I'm going to backtrack and tell you more about how we led up to it. Of 1922, as I said, it is Los Angeles. And police respond to the home of Mr. and Mrs. Strike. It's a big house. Uh, Strike was basically a textile magnate, sort of, who had moved to Los Angeles from Milwaukee about four years ago. And the neighbors had called police after hearing shots fired and finding a tragic and strange scene at the house. The cops found that all the windows and doors were closed, except for one French window that was ajar. And when they got inside, they found Fred Ostrike, the said textile magnate, dead from gunshot wounds near the door. Four cartridge shells were found upon investigation, one in the living room with Fred and the other three on the stairway to the second floor. That to me kind of indicates that maybe something happened and not right where the body is, but we're not sure yet. Ostrike had suffered three gunshot wounds, and there was another bullet stuck in the ceiling. The living room was a mess, but at first it didn't really seem like anything was missing. But it did come out that Fred's expensive diamond watch had been stolen and some money was missing, although Fred's wallet had all the money that he had had prior to being killed. The neighbors had already been by after hearing the shots and had found... Walburga, or Dolly, as we'll call her, locked in an upstairs closet. But this closet only locked from the outside, and the key was on the other side. It wasn't with Dolly, so a weird thing there. She said when she was questioned that they had no guns in the house, and her husband wasn't in the habit of carrying one, so that was another question for the police. Her version of events went that they had been out seeing some friends. They'd come home around 11 p.m. And when they came in, Fred was turning on the lights downstairs and she went up to her bedroom. And that was when she went into the closet and heard something downstairs. She tried to exit the closet to see if everything was okay. But at that point, someone slammed the door in her face and locked it. And then she heard shots fired downstairs and then she fainted, just swooned right away, delicate lady. <laughs> so the police were like, okay, it's a rich couple. Likely this was maybe a burglary in progress when the couple got home and the burglars had to act fast when the couple came home. And likely they'd killed Fred because he'd seen their faces but they were able to get by with just locking Dolly in the closet so they didn't have to kill her. So that was kind of, as they saw it, you know, the, the scene, their interpretation of it. But there were, there were some questions being raised moment by moment. But let's rewind and talk about Fred and Dolly. She was born about 42 years prior to this incident, uh, either in Germany or in Milwaukee. Her par- parents were from Germany 
and they emigrated and she was born around that same time. So it could be Germany, could be Milwaukee, could have been on the boat over. We don't pretty, know. Pretty similar, just very beer-based societies. Yes, there, I think there was back in the day a big German population in the, the Milwaukee area. We do have, you know, a big populations of Polish people and German people that came over and, and ended up staying around our area here in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And one of the reasonings is that the general climate and the surroundings are fairly similar to what you'd find in a lot of areas of Germany and Poland, where we, they look kind of similar, so they felt at home. So it's kind of nice. You go somewhere where you, you, you feel at home. Now, the main story goes that around age 12, Dolly went to work at a textile mill slash apron factory that was owned by Fred Ostreich. And he had about 60 women working in the mill, a lot of them from the local immigrant community. And by age 17, she had gotten hitched to who else? Fred Ostreich. But there's another story that I found. With, I don't have any corroboration on this. Only... Fred Ostrich's brother, John, the story that he told to the Illustrated Daily News, which kind of seems like a bit of a rag as far as journalistic entities go, but just keep that in mind. Here it is. It's the you'll, weekly you'll, world news of Milwaukee. You're going you're gonna to have a, 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 a hatred for this style. Oh, awesome. <laughs> this is by Eleanor Barnes in the Illustrated Daily News. Little woodpicker, they call her. Just a mite of a child in a dark woolen dress, a plaid shawl on her head, and a billowy apron tied around her waist. She haunted lots where new buildings were being erected, gathering in her skirts discarded blocks that she took home for kindling needed those cold Chicago days. Hardships, plenty of hardships, made the child's hands rough and full of splinters, and the heart of 15-year-old Freddie Ostrike went out to her. He'd get a job, he'd work for her, Pretty little Walburga's hands should be white like a lady's. And that's how romance began between the once comely widow and the later wealthy garment manufacturer whose mysterious demise at his L.A. residence in 1922 is being delved into by the local authorities. So, yeah, it seems like the, the, the story being given is that they, they met and then, you know, he was a few years older than her and decided that he would make a go of it in order to make her comfortable they married five years after they met. He was 20. She was 18. Uh, in that time, the boy had saved $800 from selling shoes. As a young couple, they struggled, struggled to get riches, for Fred always wanted his wife to have everything. They were much in love. And then the story goes that he obtained the factory, and then that became their source of wealth. She did sometimes act as the forelady in the factory, it was said she sort of tempered his harshness and was able to help keep things smooth between management and the workers. So he he wasn't a cheerful man. We'll say that. And he liked to drink. So there were those two things. I get that. I almost I almost yelled at somebody today at Dollar Tree. But, you know, Ariana just took me to the side and go, honey, he's in a wheelchair. Stop it. He can't. <laughs> oh, dear. So. Another issue in the marriage seemed to be a pretty steep discrepancy in their sex drives. Hers was a little bit higher than his. So she fooled around quite a bit. Now, for a while, it seemed to be just about sex. She would have lots of sex while Fred was off at work at the apron factory. 
They had one child, Raymond, early in their marriage. And then in 1913, they'd been married for maybe 15, 16 years. Along comes 17-year-old Otto Sonhuber. He was an orphan, and he was working for this Singer Sewing Machine Company. And there's a couple different stories here that describe his entry into her life. So I'm going to give you three. First story, that he came to the house to fix her sewing machine and became friends with Raymond. When Raymond died, the mutual grief that both Otto and Dolly felt brought them together into a romantic and sexual relationship. Second story was that by the time Otto came around, Raymond was recently dead. Otto came to fix the sewing machine. He reminded Dolly of her son, and so she seduced him, which is icky. Yeah. Oh, I'm trapped under the sewing machine. What are you doing, stepson? (laughs) So the third story goes that she grew infatuated with him and started taking him out on the town and Fred said, I don't, I don't think so. And so they started going undercover. Now, in any of these stories, there also may have been a setup where she got all dolled up in lingerie and a robe and spritzed herself with perfume, as one does for the sewing machine repairman. Yeah. You know what? I'll they make your... porn about, like, cable guys all the time. So I was is... just going to do that. <laughs> Sorry. There's no, no, no. You're good. There's actually it's uh, the YouTube channel. I suggest everybody check it out. It's Jack O'Shea. Uh, it's the plumber coming in to 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 like clean to like do the pipes, and this uh, like the the hot girl with the long dark hair looks down and says, "Oh," she goes, "Are my pipes dirty?" It doesn't really matter, you know. Do you want to clean my pipes? I mean, I can, but there's really not a need for it. You've, you've had this. And then she goes, do you want me to clean your pipes? And he just looks at her and goes, ma'am, I do my own plumbing. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think maybe, maybe the sewing machine repairman was the plumber or cable guy of the, you know, early 20th century. So mm-hmm. I'll fix your sewing machine. Oh, you want that thing pounding up and down, don't you, lady? <laughs> You like the way that the thread goes through the fabric, don't you? One way very angry, Scott. (laughs) I was very angry. I have problems. (laughs) (laughs) One way or the other, Dolly and Otto started up a relationship. And now for the first three years, it was just a normal affair with rendezvous at his place or at a hotel or at her place when Fred was out. And they could really go at it. Otto reported that they once did it eight times in a day. That'll, there's some chafing. It, the, it was Not the, necessarily. Uh, it was the somersault <laughs> we did where we didn't even disconnect that I found really impressive. <laughs> so his visits did put them at risk of discovery because let's just be honest, how many times can a sewing machine break? Why is the sewing machine? <laughs> yes. Why is the sewing machine repair guy at the neighbor's house every day? And Fred must have heard the neighbors muttering those very same questions because he asked Dolly, "What is up with the sewing machine guy being over here all the time?" And she's like, "Oh no, it's not him. It's just some book salesman. He's being persistent. Really wants to sell me his books." 
But I'm just I told imagining, him. I'm imagining Fred coming home. Wasn't the repair guy just here today? Why is your sewing machine in five pieces? Yeah. <laughs> she, just, she takes a hammer to it. Just Dolly on the other, in the like on the kitchen table, being spanked by Otto. It's like, like that's Fred sitting there with a the newspaper in front of him saying, damn kids knocking at the door. Quit your pranksters. <laughs> Yeah, she said that, oh, I told the book salesman off and he won't be bothering me anymore. And when neighbors asked about who this man was that was coming in and out of her house every day, she told them that she had a vagabond half-brother. So that was her story. That I fuck. (laughs) Well, yes. The couple needed a solution that would let them keep seeing each other, but without seeming suspicious to Fred or the neighbors. So Dolly was like, well, we can eliminate the part where you go in or out all the time by just having you stay in all the time. How about that? This was fucking weird. This it's this so almost weird. seemed like a bit of a fetish for her, really. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think they 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 both had a, a fetish here that ended up being met and it is it is weird. So yeah, it's she almost like residential bondage. It's Yeah. Yeah. Like you stay put in your little closet. And then there's also the idea that, you know, she's wealthy, he's not. She's older, he's younger. There's a serious power differential there. So she's getting some, like, dominance out of this, and he enjoys the submissiveness of this, which, hey, BDSM is fine, you know, just as long as nobody gets hurt. You like oh, that sewing machine, don't you? I mean, like, hurt uh, unconsensually, I guess I should say. <laughs> So you're absolutely correct with the dominant submissive roles they have here, but there's a little more going on because he actually said in an interview much later that he grew to love her as a boy loves his mother, which is icky. And I want to make sure everybody knows how icky it is, but he was one, a virgin. So he lost his virginity to Dolly and then had like this Oedipus complex because he was an orphan. Now he has a mother figure who also wants to have sex with him. So it's like a win-win for him to stay in her attic and be like her little sex slave. Yeah, when, when she tells him the idea, he's on board. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay in your attic. He even quit his job in order to do this. I'll stay in your little sex attic. <laughs> they, they got the attic all set up there with a mattress, an oil lamp, a chamber pot, Oh, you like it whenever no. I go poopy in front of you, huh? <laughs> and some stuff to keep him occupied while he was stuck up there, like books and writing material, because he'd actually always wanted to be a writer. During the day, he'd actually help out around the house with cleaning and stuff like that. He chores in general. He would come down when Fred wasn't around at night to stretch his legs. Otherwise, he was just locked in there because Dolly put a padlock on the outside of the door to keep Fred out. So he couldn't leave without her permission. It's getting weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they devised a set of signals where she would tap on the wall to let him know that Fred was out. Although she could just open the attic but i guess no, no. she wanted him to stay up there but be the, able to move around the tapping's part of it it's foreplay yeah i agree with that it's definitely foreplay it's 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 it adds to the secretiveness by by you know making a code yeah for sure 
One thing that neither of them had really put a lot of thought into was the thinness of the floors, in addition to the very uncomfortable fact that he was living right above her bedroom. So he had to sit perfectly still so as not to make a single creak while she and Fred had sex, which he would know was happening because he could hear it. Uh... I, yeah, I just, I can't imagine this. It's so uncomfortable and icky in so many ways. I don't like it. So Otto, of course, wanted Tolly to leave Fred, but she managed to talk him down from this idea. She said she couldn't take care of herself. It was a rough world out there for a woman on her own. And, you know, she was right. The divorce laws weren't super in favor of women, you know, for a, even a long time after this. So she, she, it's not like she was wrong, but, I don't know, seems like a resourceful lady. Probably could have figured something out. It's The, <sighs> the thing that stuns me is, like, I'm sure everybody who's who's listening to this right now is picturing just like some stone cold Marilyn Monroe fox fuck slut, right? No, this chick looks like the goddamn Snapple lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you've done it again. <laughs> Friend of the show, Jamie, could not get your uh, Native American John Mulaney comparison for Chester Gillette out of her head. (laughs) She was like, damn, that's good. (laughs) Like, he has a superpower, I'm telling you. Yeah, if you're you're not in the, the age that we are and don't know the Snapple lady, look her up or maybe we'll just put a picture up with a comparison of, of Dolly on, on our uh, Facebook and, and Twitter and you can you can decide, oh, I have a new art project. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah. So, Snapple lady had another challenge in that she also had to deal with Fred because he's living in this house. He's going to see and hear things that are going to make him suspicious. There's going to be strange noises. And, oh, what do you think Otto is eating? His food. He's eating the food that is in Fred's house. And Fred's going to usually, like, miss this. Really, what Dolly would do is she would gaslight Fred using his own alcohol problem. She would be like, oh, you're just drunk and imagining things. Or say, you should go to the doctor. You're, you're losing it. Or, which he did. And the doctor put him on tranquilizers. Okay, so I'm going to say this because I've done this. I did this as a child to my brother (laughs) who was drinking heavily at the time. Um, So I had started smoking because he was 15 years older than me and I thought he was just the coolest. He would come home hammered and I would steal a pack of his cigarettes. He always bought a carton. And he'd be like, I did not smoke a pack and a half last night. I'm like, you must have, man. You were drunk as hell. You probably smoked a lot. So I used to <laughs> gaslight him and I would be stealing like packs of his cigarettes every other night. Oh my God. So it's really <laughs> easy to do this to people that are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's the lesson we've learned here. Yeah, oh. don't, don't get so drunk that you can't remember because then it's really easy to gaslight your ass. <laughs> Apparently, maybe nobody should be gaslighting anybody regardless of alcohol. Yo, I was like, that's just my take. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, while all this is going on, Otto is actually following his dream of being a writer. He's writing like crazy. And then Dolly would basically be kind of like an agent to him. She would try to sell the stories to magazines. 
And eventually he did get an acceptance that led to more publications. I, I'm, I never thought I'd be jealous of a man that is locked in an attic, but here we well, are. So She would actually type them out for him, too. Oh, that's... He, I don't want that to be sweet. No, it's icky. It's all icky. But but he would he would write them by hand, and then when she had time, she would type it out and then send it in. She had a special post office box just for his writing stuff, so it didn't come to the house. Smart. And, and she really was was taking care of him as far as that goes. Like it was it's kind of sweet, it's still icky, but she was doing her motherly duty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess yep. things can be sweet and icky at the same time. But the the when you brought in the motherly duty, that just the the pendulum swung right over and hit icky like so much that it shattered. I know. I just want everybody to realize how icky it is, and I will bring it up over and over again. Fun. <laughs> hey, so kids, don't the, fuck your mom. Or anyone who resembles her. So they, the Ostrikes moved a couple times, and each time Dolly insisted on a house with an attic. And... Finally, they, they did reach a point where they found a house where Otto no longer had to, to live directly over his lover and her husband's bedroom. So he didn't have to listen to the, you know, all night. Now, is that the bed springs or, or, or her, her orgasming squeaks? A uh, combination. Let's say a combination. Right on. Maybe some German thrown in there. Weiners. What was that even? It was like stroke Swedish. <laughs> okay. I'm probably going to uh, edit that out. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm high as a fucking kite, and the only thing I can do is think about H.R. Giger right now. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, um, uh, like, German orgasms. <laughs> jaw! 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 <laughs> Do you do they like do they like, do the little Nazi salute? <laughs> oh God, the Bellamy salute! Bring yeah. it back! Oh yeah, yeah! Oh, oh. they're coming, Fox. I mean, my lady strudel. Oh God! So, but the thing is that there probably wasn't a lot of uh, that uh, yeah yeah going on at the no, time. No, because Dolly was on top, going eat bin dinner, father. <laughs> well, there's your answer. Dolly and Fred weren't doing great maritally speaking, so they were fighting a lot. And there's this one really super awkward incident where Fred came home earlier than expected because he and Dolly had gone to a party. Then they'd gotten into a fight. So he stormed out, goes home, and he finds Otto sitting at his table eating his food. But he just assumed that this guy was sneaking in when Fred and Dolly were out, unbeknownst to either of them, eating their food and then going on his way. He never once suspected that Otto was living there. Because why would you? It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then also keep in mind the timing here. Their relationship went into the period of World War I, and Otto wants to join up. But he won't do it without... Dolly's consent. Yeah. There's that mother thing again. Although I guess if you're in a relationship that you're intending to be long term and you want to do something like risk your life overseas, 
then that should be a conversation between the two of you. That's that definitely should be something that you discuss before you do. So I guess I can't really fault that or blame it on the the, the mother thing. It shouldn't have to be a conversation, especially if you're living like a hermit in the attic trying to stay away from the person that's literally 10 feet away from you. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, like, if you, if you just look at it as a relationship and take away all the icky and weird and what the hell, uh, then it, it's a decision of one person in a relationship wanting to go overseas where they could potentially die or be severely injured or, or maimed for life or whatever the other person in that relationship, if you're intending to stay together for a long time, should have some say, you know? You this don't just, is, like, join up and be like, hey, I head out in, in two days, let's have some fun! This isn't a relationship. This is one step above having a fuck doll in your closet. No, but I you will know what? Grant to, you Otto, to Otto, Dolly is the only person in his whole world that cares. Yeah, she is his world. Yeah, that cares whether he lives or dies. He doesn't have any family, he doesn't have any friends, all he has is Dolly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's his everything, his world. So, of course, he's going to go by her word when she doesn't want him to leave. And, of course, she doesn't want him to leave. And it may, may or may not have to do with the fact that he'd be risking his own life overseas. May just because she, you know, wanted to keep her, her attic fucked all around. Well, Fair I mean, title. he also, like, did the laundry <laughs> and made the beds. No. Yeah, that too. Also her, her little secret servant. So, yeah. Although I guess he's contributing to the household in some way too because he is eating their food as well. So, you got to contribute something. So, he's, he's doing the chores. Now, in 1918, the whole gang moves out to L.A. Fred and Dolly and unbeknownst to Fred, also Otto. Boy, this it crate where they with... were putting in the back of the van's really heavy. Yeah, this could almost have a whole man in it. Yeah, it's weird. It's like the weight shifts around. Where'd this mattress come from? Did I just hear that crate say "ow" when we threw it into the truck? I think you did. Well, I have. <laughs> I have that Otto actually went first. Like they sent him ahead. Mailed him. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, like, she gave him the money from all of his, his writing that she's been saving for him. She gave it to him and sent him ahead and was like, you go out there and then I will let you know as soon as as soon as soon we find a house. And so they were actually uh, writing to each other via the post office boxes that she had set up. And he worked as a porter for a little while out there until she found the house with Fred. And then he moved in. <laughs> and yeah, the, the thing is, is that she probably would have sent him out there not knowing how long it would take for them to have a house out there because she had to find a house with an attic, which there there weren't a ton of those in L.A. No, I mean, there's earthquakes. I'm I'm from Los Angeles originally. Like, there's, there's earthquakes and things fall down. So not a whole lot of houses are built very tall. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. So she had to really search and find that needle in the haystack. So yeah, they get out there. Otto ends up back in the attic. Fred liked it out there a lot. He had planned on retiring, but he ended up getting himself a new factory, and he seemed to be really enjoying his life for the first time in a while. And things went on that way from from 1918 until that night in August 1922, when the neighbors heard gunshots. They came and found Fred dead. The cops looked at the situation for a few minutes, and they thought, okay, botched burglary. So now we're back where we started. And 
what actually happened, that would take quite a while to work out. They, they, <sighs> the, the story ends up being that the Ostrikes came home from a night out fighting like usual, except maybe this one may have gotten more physical than usual, but we don't know. Otto grabbed one of the guns he knew were in the house. He came downstairs. He and Fred started grappling and fighting, and he ended up shooting Fred three times, killing him. One shot went to the back of the head. His story in his own words at one point, I thought Mrs. Ostrike was being killed. I grabbed my little pistol and ran from the room. When he faced me, I fired. I ran back upstairs and went to the little room. I was stiff with fright. Okay, so I actually, I do have why he ran downstairs. Um, yeah, he he had this whole thing about how that there had been a burglar who tried to get into the house and he threw an inkwell at the window. And so now he's graduated from inkwells to guns, apparently. No, no. Um, when When they were fighting, he heard a loud thud and then Dolly scream. And so ah. he thought that Fred had hit her. But what actually happened is Dolly had just slipped on a throw rug and fell down. But when he heard her scream and heard her hit the ground, he panicked because remember, that's his only connection to the world. Yeah. The thing is, is his story does change and shift quite a little bit as the as the years goes on, go on. So we can't really stick to any of them. But that is one story that at, at one point where he was like worried that she was in danger and ran downstairs. And then the burglary thing comes in later, too, with him. Also saying, like, oh, well, there'd been burglaries, so I thought it was a burglary. <laughs> Lots of stories. So many stories. And they did. They thought they could pass it off as a burglary, he and Dolly, with, you know, her conveniently unharmed because the burglars had been able to trap her in the closet. But the police, they didn't super buy this story. And then the one newspaper mentioned that the police chief was like, this lady wears way too much makeup for her age. We should look into this, was basically the gist. <laughs> I was like, what? How is that? I mean, you have basis. You, 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 it's good you're looking into this because your initial read of the situation is not the case. But that's not a good reason. And she can wear however much makeup she wants. <laughs> look at this painted hussy. She's guilty. Yes, painted hussy. I think you're probably right, but it has nothing to do with the makeup. Jesus Christ, the divorce is not going well, is it, Al? I actually would really appreciate it if people would start referring to me as a painted hussy whenever I even so much as put on mascara. I like it. You'll get your wish next time I see you in lipstick. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Painted hussy. Right in front of your mom. (laughs) Oh, great. They, they start looking into it, and a few things came up that raised some questions. Keep in mind, the cops only know about the whole botched burglar thing. They know nothing about Otto for a while. So what they hear is that neighbors said that they heard shots fired, went to the window to, you know, peep out and see what's going on, saw it at the O-Strike's house, lights on out on the porch and in the living room. And then about five minutes later... A light went on in Dolly's bedroom. 10 or 15 minutes after that, the porch light went out. So the whole idea of Dolly being in her bedroom when the shooting happened is kind of, God damn it, shot to hell. Uh. (laughs) 
it just comes into my head. And then once it does, I can't think of any other way to phrase it, even though there's like several dozen. So you get the pun and that's what you get. And you just, you, you better like it. Mm -hmm. Look who's getting forceful now. Tell me to live in the attic, Christy. I was going to say, as Dolly probably one time said to Otto. (laughs) So, so yeah, that, that sort of puts a little hole in the story. And then there's the fact that there were people who told the cops it is absolute bullshit that they didn't have firearms in the house. There are known to be two revolvers kept at that home. So that is raising some more questions as to where did the guns, guns come from and where are they now? Meanwhile, within just a few months of the murder, Dolly moved. And, of course, she moved into a house with an attic where Otto lived. But Dolly needs a lawyer. I don't know if this guy was originally attached, you know, to the estate to do all the probate stuff and all that jazz, or if she found him to do this. But one way or the other, this lawyer is going to help her uh, untangle the estate issue so she could get her hands on all the money and property Fred had left her in the will. That was worth 242000 which is $3.7 million today. That's some money. Yeah. So she hires, uh, sometimes he's known as Lewis, sometimes he's known as Herman Shapiro. I think I end up going with Herman Shapiro throughout, so we're going to call him Herman. And, you know, while he's helping her deal with the estate, he may as well keep her bed warm, too. So that started up. And this is the first point where beyond when she decided to keep another human being living in her attic full time for years, uh, she really fucked up. She gave Herman Shapiro as a present, you know, something to make him feel pretty, the watch that was supposedly stolen in the burglary that had killed her husband. Why why does this watch say time to die? Why is this watch bloody? Yeah. (laughs) Time to die. (laughs) And you you, you get on my case about puns, but you break one out every once in a while, too. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do. I'm a hypocrite. Oh, I was just going to cough, hypocrite. Fine, if you're just going to call yourself it and make it less fun for me. Right? That's how I do it. I call <laughs> myself out. You're just going to be an honest hypocrite. I, I, so. ta- I take all the power away from people by just going like, oh, you were going to insult me? I'll just say it out loud. I'm a hypocrite. I'm proud. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so. The police had, were checking local pawn shops for that watch and finding nothing. And it, it would stand out. It was very distinctive and diamond-studded. It was pretty valuable. So, okay. Either Shapiro knew that it had been Dolly's dead husband's watch and reported it to, reported it to the police. While Meanwhile, she tried to convince him that she found it behind a cushion. Yeah, that's a likely story. That's okay. Sure. Sure. Dolly. Sure. Dolly. I'm just gonna say that like a lot for the rest of the episode. Sure. Dolly. Or someone else recognized it and was like, uh, her new lover's wearing her dead husband's watch. But one way or the other, the police found out, but they couldn't make the direct connection just yet. So they went out to Milwaukee and actually checked around until they found the jewelry store that sold that watch to Fred Ostrike. 
and got confirmation that way. Now, that is some good shoe leather police work. Mm-hmm. Pound that pavement. Meanwhile, Dolly's got another new guy warming her bed. His name is Roy Klum. He's a businessman. And she's like, uh, I'm just picturing her doing the whole, like, arms pushing the boobs together thing. She's like, hey, baby cakes, would you mind just totally disposing of this completely innocent gun that for sure wasn't involved in a crime for me? And so she got him to ditch one of the guns in the La Brea tar pits. I love that part. fact. I love that fact. <laughs> he, she only, number one, she only gets rid of one of the guns. If you're going to toss it in the La Brea tar pit, why not toss both the guns? Take care of it well, she all had, at once. Well, for some reason, she had like a neighbor friend bury the other one. So, yeah, why have why spread that knowledge that there are guns you want hidden out? Right. First of all, pick a person who has maybe motive to not tell the cops. So, you know, the guy you're fucking mm -hmm. <laughs> the neighbor is like. I'm not getting any sex out of this. What the hell? Why am I keeping quiet? Secondly, <laughs> I want to have like some paleontologist digging through the La Brea tar pits. Maybe he just coasted through on a sports scholarship and he's out there digging through because he blew his knee out in the game and he finds two guns in the La Brea tar pit and instantly thinks that mastodons murdered the dinosaurs and that's why they're gone. These things have access to firearms. You can't dig through the La Brea tar pits you have to dive. I thought there, is, there was something where it was like they they lower like down wood things to like get like the tar out and then like kind of oh. like pull the planks off and kind of dig through the outside of it. That yeah, might I, be one method, especially in, in older times. But there mm -hmm. there's two episodes of Criminal about uh, one is a, a original episode and then there's a, a couple years later a follow up about a police diver who actually went and d dived in the La Brea tar pits looking for evidence from, from a murder case, I believe it was. I, it's been a while since I listened to it, but really excellent episode. And yeah, his, the thing is, is his wife didn't know that he was doing it that day. <laughs> like, could have killed him, but yeah. Amber had a thing. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I thought they, back then at least, they dragged it, similar to what Scott said, with like the wood at the bottom and then a big net to kind of bring up the bigger pieces. Yeah, I think that diving is a more recent thing and it's only for very uh, important, like really like we got to get this evidence and we know it's there cases because it is dangerous, like really dangerous. Because you're diving through tar. <laughs> Visibility so. sucks down here. Might as well went down <laughs> blindfolded. I would have had a better <laughs> chance. It's not great. It's, it's like trying to hit a pinata, but the air is made of tar. Yeah. Both, actually, Roy Klum and the neighbor who she had asked to dispose of the guns, both of them came forward to tell the cops this, this not at all suspicious piece of information. And it's, it's really Dolly digs herself the hole. Like, if she had just not given her lover her dead husband's watch, if she had just not given her other lover a gun to dispose of or her neighbor a gun to dispose of, she does stupid things and that in doing those things ropes more people into it. And the more, you know, it, it, two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Well, why doesn't don't you just like advertise in the damn newspaper, Dolly? Like For God's sake, she's just spreading all the knowledge around. She has excuses when she's confronted about the gun. She's like, well, having those guns made me look bad, but that it, that's not 
that's not worth a damn. Not at all. It's a, it's a horrible Spread excuse. that knowledge like you spread those legs, baby. <laughs> so in July 1923, 11 months after her husband's murder, she is arrested. She went into, guess what? A hysterical faint upon being arrested. She likes to faint. This episode is brought to you by the Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour. The crimes we talk about have the aroma of fine wine that only age can bring. But if you're in the mood for something a bit more, shall we say, recent, we strongly suggest the Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour. The Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour is a great podcast that has a bit more of a modern spin than yours truly, but in a format that old-timey crimey fans will find familiar. Whether you're in the mood for stories about Jeffrey Epstein being frozen... That's a popsicle that didn't kill itself. We, we know, Scott. Epstein sickle. Or you want a podcast about what the hell is wrong with Wisconsin? Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour is the show for you. Uh, what state are you from again, Amber? Shut up. The Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour can be found on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever great podcasts can be found. Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour, like a nice cold drink at the bar, but with more crime. And then the LA Evening Express published this the next day. Hysterical after a sleepless night in the city jail, bitterly sobbing, Mrs. Walberga Ostreich Haggard, worn, and with great creases showing across her brow, early this morning recovered sufficiently from a near state of collapse to begin her fight to establish her innocence of the so-called closet murder. And I just would like everybody to sit and think about this particular headline from the Salt Lake Telegram. Murder probe hinges upon closet door. God damn it. Think, I'm just not fucking this, quit. I can't do this anymore. I think the Salt Lake Telegram needs to go into a closet and think oh. about what it's done. <laughs> and that's me saying that. <laughs> I rolled my eyes at that one. <laughs> I, that knocked the wind out of me. <clears throat> they, they said that the prosecution was trying to prove that the door was self-locking and thus she could have hidden herself in there after killing her husband without any outside help. And the thing is, there was outside help, and that outside help is still in hiding in her attic while she's stuck in jail. And he apparently has no food, and that's a problem. Probably another one of the reasons that she was so upset upon being arrested, because who's going to take care of her son? I mean, lover. Lover, I mean lover. Breathing <clears throat> fuck doll. Little, little slip of the tongue there. And so she needs to find somebody to help her take care of this. And who else can she count on than the lawyer that she's shagging and to whom she gave her dead husband's watch that was supposedly stolen in the burglary that killed him. She does pull the whole uh, vagabond half-brother line when she asks for this favor, but imagine being asked to do this favor. You're asked, somebody's like, can you do me a favor? And you're like, yeah, I guess. I mean, we're close and I, I'll do anything for you, babe. And they're like, okay, so there's this guy in my attic. And I need you to feed him. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's enough to make you think 
more about your choices, one would think. But Shapiro goes over there with some food. He brings it to Otto, and Otto starts spilling his story right down to the murder. Shapiro does nothing about this until he lets it slip to Dolly's criminal attorney, who is like, would you please get that guy the fuck out of her attic? This is not a good situation. This is bad. This looks bad all around. Take care of this dude. Meantime, in like late August, Dolly managed to get 50000 in bail and posted it, and even took a little two-week trip to San Diego for her health. I kind of hate her. <sighs> and not for her high sex drive, you know, there's, there's, there's an extent to which that can be, you know, an excuse for doing weird things. But just, just, no, go home. Just go home. You're under suspicion of murder. Stop doing stupid things like running off to San Diego. Anyhow. Also, my allergies are really kicking my ass this week. And I want to be somewhere where the ocean is because the allergies are not as bad there. I want to go to California. I want to live in the woods and the foothills of Oroville, California, and, and cuddle up with my wife and never see another fucking human being again. You're all horrible, horrible creatures. Thanks. We love you too, Scott. I mean, <laughs> you know, you guys are all right. Oh, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> so... After some debate between Dolly and Shapiro, they agree that Otto should probably get out of her life and her attic. And Shapiro gets Otto some work in San Francisco while he and Dolly keep dating. No conflict of interest here in shipping her longtime lover off to another city. None, none at all. But also, yeah, could really implicate her in the murder. So, so he and then Shapiro moves in. So also, yeah, that that. Of course, he wants the guy, the lover living in her attic. Of course, he wants him gone. <laughs> and the trial, oh my God, this dragged and dragged and dragged. I had to follow this through the newspapers month after month. It was delayed and delayed and delayed for various reasons. Once because there was a shortage of deputy DAs. Once because Dolly was too ill to appear due to a, quote, an affection of the lungs, but not pulmonary tuberculosis, which seven months later, the papers were like, actually, it was, it's tuberculosis. So, and 15 months after the initial charges were filed, there have been 10 postponements. This is just, it feels intentional a little bit, you know? Yeah. And then finally, the thing is that the, the police have all this extra time to find more information, enough evidence to really bring a case. And But January 1925 comes and they dismiss the charges because they don't have enough. They haven't been able to find enough because Otto's in San Francisco. so And they don't know he exists yet. Now, in 1928, she pops up in the news a little bit more. Uh, she's being sued for alienation of affection in a suit adjacent to a divorce case because she is cheating on Shapiro and also possibly Clum, the business manager, or no, the businessman, with Ray Hedrick, who is her business manager. No man can come within 50 miles of this woman and not sleep with her, apparently. It's I impossible. I don't fucking get it. Like I Some would, people just have charisma. I would not fuck this woman with a bag of stolen dicks. You haven't been in her presence. 
Charisma is a thing that you have to be in somebody's presence usually. I think it can be on screens, but it's mostly a presence thing. And yeah, there it might. It, it's got. It's got to be honestly at this point. It's got to be a, a, a thing where she just has this this allure that you can't really place it, but it just draws men in like flies to Snapple. <laughs> Was wondering when we get back to the Snapple. You're welcome. You said I was all right earlier, so I thought I'd do you a solid. You you are all right. Whenever I say I whenever right. I say humans, I just mean most humans. <laughs> I don't talk to people I don't really like, except for you know people I have to work with. We know you don't mean us. We just like <laughs> taking pretend offense. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Amber was actually a little offended. Nope. Oh, okay. No, it's really hard to offend her. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's you guys. a lot easier to offend me. I'm thin skinned. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not offended, so. But pretend offense is fun. So, anyhow. So, yeah, this whole suit is happening. She's cheating on Shapiro with Ray Hedrick, her business manager, who is married. She's being sued by Mrs. Hedrick for 300000 That is $4.6 million. And the big reason that this actually hits the papers is because Dolly was in trouble for making threats against Mrs. Hedrick, so her lover's wife. Uh, The quote, Mrs. Hedrick filed suit several days ago, asserting the love of her husband, Ray B. Hedrick, had been stolen by the defendant by offers of money, entertainments, and liquor. Threatening telephone calls and other annoyances immediately followed the filing of the complaint. And I hate, 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 more than the hinges pun. I hate what the newspapers call this. It's a heart balm, B-A-L-M, as in like, you know, a salve or something that soothes you. Case. It's the heart balm lawsuit, which is like she's soothing her heart through the legal system by filing civil lawsuits. I don't, it's, it's so stupid. It drives me crazy. So this becomes a whole big thing. Mr. Hedrick files back that he left Mrs. Hedrick because she was a nag and called him a blockhead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that bitch. (laughs) Apparently. God. Dolly follows this up with the $500,000 slander suit against Mrs. Hedrick. The paper announces that Spicy testimony featuring sensational charges and countercharges is expected at the hearing. We should also note that Hedrick is 15, younger, 15 years younger than her. He is 48 to her third. Nope, other way around, Christy. He is 33 to her 48. So she's pulling in the young penises, I guess. I, that well, I mean, she seduced a 17-year-old boy, so... Yeah, I, that is I, true. I think she likes him a little younger. She's got the kind yeah. of tits that look like used condoms just nailed to a wall. I mean, do we have to make fun of her body? <laughs> Face so is one thing, so but it's okay we can't me. help it. So it's Scott, okay. It happens when we age. It happens. Gravity happens. Things <laughs> sag. Do you okay? think gravity doesn't happen to men? My well, te- and that's, my exactly, te- that's why she wants him younger. So <laughs> when things hang, they can get back up. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. testicles look like two oranges in a nylon stocking. Anyhow, 
the Hedricks divorce on October 31st of 1928. And the suit, I couldn't find any further information about it in the press. It must have been dropped or settled because it just disappears. Now, Otto, I hear you asking. How can I hear you when we're recording this like a week and a half before you hear it and it's a podcast? Uh, because I'm psychic. Where is Otto, you're asking? Where, where is Probably Otto? in the fucking attic. <laughs> Probably in an attic somewhere. He had ended up in Canada. America's attic. America's attic, yeah. You beat me <laughs> to it. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sure that joke must have been used somewhere else, but I'm still so proud of it. Like Damn in the well, many, yeah. many years since this, this case has been around, I'm sure somebody has thought of that and said it or printed it or whatever somewhere, but I'm still so fucking proud. You damn well should be. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. America's like, it just came to me. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, he is in America's attic. He got married in 1924. So the, the heartbreak of leaving Dolly didn't keep him down for long. He changed his name at one point to Walter Klein, and he did come back to L.A. and did, like, some some janitor work and stuff. And then 1930 rolls around. Her name is back in the papers, and for the first time, Otto's is, too, because the truth has come out about his happy days living in her attic, which really is starting to sound like it should be a euphemism. It, it does, yeah. <laughs> it really does. So why did the truth come out? Well, remember when Dolly cheated on Shapiro with Hedrick and how she apparently likes to threaten people? Apparently, when she and Shapiro broke up, that didn't go so well. And who knew knows all about Otto? Shapiro! So he went to the cops and he spilled everything. Well, and honestly, he's a lawyer. He's probably been documenting everything. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So they arrested Otto and he confessed and then said, the only thing I'm worried about now is how I'm going to explain this to my wife. I feel sorry for her, but I'm glad it's over. I suppose I'll go to San Quentin, but I feel much better about it. So, yeah, he's charged with murder, of course. And even while that's going on, his lawyer, whose name is Earl Wakeman, is trying to make the case that they have the wrong guy. From the papers, Wakeman stated yesterday that he was convinced that his client is not Otto Sanhuber at all, but a nameless wanderer who, while suffering from aphasia, stumbled into the Illustrate case. (laughs) I mean, why not? Sure, Dolly. <laughs> I'm just going to say it to everybody from now on. The attorney went on to say, He admitted to me that he was Sen Hoover, but I doubt it. He told me that he started living in the Strike Attics in 1911 and lived there until 1922. It seems utterly preposterous. Well, yes, it does, but preposterous things happen. And that's why we talk about them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Otto was taken in for psychological testing, and he ended up with a weird thing, this double plea of not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity, which I kind of at least mentally liken to the fact that you can be, like, charged with 
first degree murder, but the judge can give the jury instructions that they can choose second degree or, or manslaughter, you know, that they can choose which charge applies to the case best, no matter what you're charged with. So I kind of think that maybe that it's similar to that. I don't know. I've never heard of dual pleas before. That's new and old. Of course, Dolly is arrested for murder, too, and possibly conspiracy. And here's the thing. A lot of accounts that I read that were based on other reporting, so secondary sources, were that she was just arrested for conspiracy. But no, she was arrested for murder. (gasps) She would go on trial for murder. So, like, the whole conspiracy thing, as we'll see with the reasons that this stuff doesn't really end up working out, is, is... Maybe she was charged with that too, but definitely murder was on the table. So, and in general, the people in the press were like, this is so bonkers because the story was just coming out. Like everybody remembered this murder from eight years ago that it was just kind of like, how did it happen? How'd she end up in the closet? Oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden the story comes out that there was a man living in their attic that she was sleeping with and he was younger than her and all this stuff comes out. And people are like, holy shit. So in the Chico Enterprise in 1930, Don Roberts said, if you went to see The Terror and The Phantom of the Opera on a town movie bill, came home and read two or three of Edgar Allan Poe's choicer tales of horror, ate three Welsh rarebits, which I should note is a cheese-based mixture on bread that is both toasted and grilled, and then went to bed. Your resulting nightmare might look like something like this amazing drama. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's not enough, we get to add Amber's favorite ingredient. Fire. Yes. Ooh, I thought you meant rum. <laughs> that's her second favorite. The apron factory had burned down in 1927 And authorities were looking into whether it was arson because they really suspected it was arson. And one article said that they were pretty sure they could charge the three responsible parties who went unnamed, but they wanted to wait until Dolly and Otto's trials were over, which sort of uh, implicates one or the other or both of them in this. And the trials, their trials were separated, so they're not going to go on trial together. That was a a possibility at first, but then the judge separated them. Which somebody does need to separate these two. (laughs) Somebody needed to do it a long time ago. Otto did retract his confession and they, the defense manages to, to arrange it so that the jury can't hear the grand jury testimony in which he gave that confession because they say it had been given under duress. And so after that, really, the prosecution just had a scorned ex's secondhand account of what he heard from Otto. It's not it's 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 hearsay at that point, And he has reason to not, you know, tell the truth. He, he has a reason to lie because he's a scorned lover. And Shapiro is not eager to come and give any of that information. Anyhow, they had to subpoena him and then send out some deputy sheriffs to chase him down. And then they get him in and they don't even have him for some reason. They don't have him tell the jury about the confession that he'd gotten from San Huber because it's, I I don't know why. I don't know why they just leave that, but uh, they did... They did dangle in the press 
the idea that, and this was from the defense's side, there was also a basement lover. Oh, no. I never <laughs> even thought about the basement. Right? I mean, there's a whole other story where you can store a man. <laughs> so, from the paper, Earl S. Wakeman, Sam Huber's attorney, revealed that he had asked uh, Chief Deputy Sorry, Chief Trial Deputy Attorney Daniel Beecher to arrest and prosecute a man other than San Huber. The demand on the part of Wakeman followed a day in which several sensations developed, chief among them Wakeman's assertion in court that Mrs. Walberger Ostrike, widow of the slain man, had a basement lover at the same time San Huber was living in the attic of her home. Wakeman did not give the name of the asserted basement lover, but said the man was about six feet tall and weighed 250 pounds. He said the man probably will be called as a state witness. And I would just like to remind you that Wakeman is the same man who couldn't believe that Otto Sandhuber lived in the attic. But now all of a sudden he's willing to believe that both Otto Sandhuber lived in the attic and some mystery man lived in the basement. Shit, she might have one in the shed. (laughs) Has anybody checked the garage? Look in the treehouse. The trunk of the car? (laughs) Make sure to move the spare tire. He may be under there. (laughs) So it turns out that the supposed basement lover is Roy Klum. He was that businessman that she took up as a lover around the same time, you know, after the murder, she took up with Shapiro. She took up with Ray Klum. She still had Otto in the attic. He denies anything of that sort and said, I was not a basement lover. And then files a $100,000 suit against Wakeman for slander. And they're starting to make this funny thing very tiresome at this point. I am really tired of all these suits and countersuits. I started to get really annoyed when I was doing my research. I was like, this is funny and hilarious and weird. And you're starting to make it exhausting. <laughs> so John Ostrike, that brother of Fred's that we mentioned earlier, he gets death threats and letters warning him not to take the stand at either trial, Otto's or Dolly's. And he was like... I- I I wasn't really going to. I mean, they called me to the stand, but all they want me to do is just establish that Walburga was known as Dolly. Like, that was it. It wasn't anything like, I saw that woman murder a man. No, it was just, yeah, she goes by Dolly sometimes. I can go now? Okay, all right, bye. Nice cool, nice thanks. Nice yeah. The jury was actually taken to the attic. Mm. I mean, they had moved out like eight years before, so like it wasn't intact or anything. But it's just it's just so funny to me that they were in the same place. I don't know why. Now, that's when San Huber, Otto San Huber comes up with this story that, you know, the, there had been burglars uh, just recently at the house and he'd scared them away by throwing the, the inkwell at the window. And so he was all amped up to, you know, protect the home and protect Dolly the night that he killed Fred. And here is his story in his own words. I had the gun in my hand and I had been practicing ever since that night the burglar tried to get in, going downstairs with a gun in my hand stealthily stealthily in order to get the drop on anyone who came in. I came to the doorway where I heard their voices. I suddenly saw I was confronting a strike with a gun in my hand. He hadn't seen me since years before in Milwaukee and he thought I had gone completely out of their lives, I guess. It was wrong. I cannot describe the look of amazement that spread over his face. 
San Huber was confused, startled, and frightened by the encounter himself, he said, and he made a lunge at the manufacturer. The two men grappled, he declared, rolled over on the floor, and in the struggle, the gun was discharged once, twice. I cannot remember how many times, San Huber said. I didn't know what to do. I was so frightened as Ostrike's body went limp in my arms. But something told me to get out of sight quick. So I grabbed Mrs. Ostrike, who stood there in terror, and pushed her into the nearby closet. It must be burglars, San Huber said, he told the woman. So that's his story. And when he's asked about the relationship, oh boy, does his wording get weird. Uh, When he's asked if they were lovers, he says, A lover has certain rights, but I didn't. I loved her, but it wasn't the kind of love I feel for my wife. The closer I got to my wife, the farther I drifted away from Mrs. Ostrike. Thank God. Well, yes, that part's good. But the first part, the I love her has certain rights, but I didn't, is just like, what mm. rights in particular? Could you could you be more specific? I don't know that like, we want to know. Yeah, we probably don't. I had to hold my poop until Thursdays. <laughs> he had a chamber pot. No, he didn't. Unless she asked him to. I don't know. So the prosecution wants the death penalty on the table. There is a jury of six men and six women. They deliberate for nine hours. And he ends up being found guilty of manslaughter, not murder. And the sentence for that was supposed to be from one to nine years. But while murder doesn't fall under the statute of limitations, manslaughter does. So that guilty, or at least did at the time, I'm sure things have changed since then. There was only a three-year statute of limitations on manslaughter. So that guilty verdict meant nothing. The trial meant nothing. Everybody had wasted their time, and he was let go after about a week or so. So. On to Dolly's trial, because we're still doing this for some reason. There's, it starts about a month later. But there's already a lot of speculation that his release will affect her case. Because if the statute of limitations affects him, it affects her for the related crime. But she is on trial for murder. But the thing is, is that all the stories have him doing the shooting. You know, so the, the prosecution really has to dig deep here to find some version where she actually commits a murder and isn't just party to it or an accessory, you know, whatever like that. And so I just I just see this as such a huge waste of time. So, but they do it anyhow. And so, basically, their big play is using her morality, or well, lack thereof, uh, to make the jury dislike her, which they're hoping that that will lead to a guilty verdict. They didn't necessarily try this in... Otto's case. It is Dolly who is seen as the one where, oh, well, we can make a woman look bad because of something that really Otto was consenting. He may or may not have been a legal adult at the time. We don't know exactly the timing, but he was consenting <laughs> to the attic thing, even though it's so fucked up. You know? I don't know. That, it's, it's confusing and weird, but I, I, I hate the fact that they use it against her, but not against him. You know? Yeah. It says something. So. And Otto comes in and testifies for the prosecution. And here is a lovely part from the newspaper. 
And like Adam, Sanhuber blamed the woman. It was she who said who urged him to come with her and live his strange, bat-like existence under the eaves of the home in which she and her husband live. Timidly yet smilingly, in a strange sing-song voice, Sanhuber described the years he spent in the attics of the various Ostreich homes. He was her lover, he said. And all the time, Mrs. Ostreich, now middle-aged, watched the little man. Her broad-brimmed hat shaded her eyes, and none of the spectators saw the look that she gave the man who said he had been her paramour. So then after that, they... uh, they said, following the completion of Sandhuber's testimony, the jury was to be taken to the death house today. I love it when they call things death houses, death chambers. I mean, yes, a, a death did occur there, and I get it, but it's still funny. It was here that Sandhuber said that he slept in the attic by night and did Mrs. Ostreich's housework by day. An attic, I'm sorry, a silent servant, he called himself. It was here, Deputy District Attorney James Costello contends that the woman and her asserted paramour plotted to kill Ostrike eight years ago. Can I have a dun-dun-dun? Yeah, right? (laughs) But he also said in his testimony that he chose the attic life. The attic life did not choose him. And that he had, in fact, asked her out the first time he met her. Specifically answering, sure, by George, you know, she was an attractive woman. No. I'm sorry, but can we please enjoy the past tense burn in that? Oh, oh, you are correct. <laughs> she was an attractive woman. And you're just in there like, oh, you dick. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, that's pretty well done, but I'm sure unintentional, but also I can still enjoy it. Bitch hit a wall. <laughs> but he's... He's constantly contradicting himself. Either that or there's a possibility that the papers are presenting very different views of what his overall testimony is in order to further whatever particular viewpoint they want to advance. So it it could go either way, I think. But knowing Otto and how generally confused he seems to be, I feel like he was probably contradicting himself a lot. And they (laughs) both the prosecution and defense managed to get some real juicy shit out of him. So... But then he also testifies that neither of them shot Fred. So there's that story that just keeps on a shifting. Fred's old secretary from Milwaukee testified that Dolly had treated her as a confidant. And once, 20 years ago, they'd been talking about the Ostrike's marriage and the suggestion of divorce had come up. Dolly's response had been, no, he'd only bother me for the rest of my life. There's only one way to get rid of Fred. Or anybody. Yeah, really. (laughs) And also, uh, Fred hadn't, his lack of trust in his wife, his suspicions of her, went to the extent that he had the secretary, also known as an office girl, age 16, stay with his wife when he had to go on business off to another city. But Dolly was not on board with having a babysitter. No, 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 no. The office girl said, Mrs. Ostrike asked me to leave, then called me back just before her husband returned. And then after the murder, Dolly and, and this uh, secretary were talking about it, and Dolly didn't react well to this discussion. She said, don't you ever answer any questions about me if you don't want to get into trouble. Uh-oh. There's those threats. Mm-hmm. She likes to make them. Her lawyer 
argued that she should only be charged with accessory after the fact, but really she should be totally free because, quote, she may be the worst sinner in the world, but her judgment awaits the searcher of souls. This woman, whenever she was younger, had a bomb-ass pussy, but now it looks like a pelican swallowing a fish. No, I really want to concentrate on what he said there. I really, I, I, I it, it's not that. It's not what, but what Scott just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, she may have sinned and committed crimes, but really, isn't it only up to God to judge her? What is it for us humans to judge her? You know, she'll get her judgment at the pearly gates or something, you know? We may as well just stop doing all this, which I do agree with that, but not on those grounds. Let's just let civilization go to hell, huh? Right? Yeah. So Dolly took the stand, and that's where the prosecution managed to get out their theory that she had whipped out a hidden handgun and fired the first shot at Fred. But the prosecution was not willing to stick to just one theory, because why do that when you can confuse the hell out of the jury? They had a theory that she committed the murder alone, and then another theory that both Dolly and Otto shot firearms, but Otto shot at Fred, while Dolly shot at the ceiling. I don't, I don't know what they're doing, and I'm pretty sure they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, it doesn't sound like anybody knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right? So then the statute of limitations is brought up again, and I would really like you guys to enjoy the way that the newspaper phrased this. They called the statute of limitations the legal backdoor through which her ghost lover had slipped. Oh, <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> I was dying nice. when I found that. I was like, was that on purpose? I never know with old timey stuff. So that was brought up again. And the prosecution wanted the jury to be told that if they came back with a manslaughter conviction, that was the same thing as acquittal, which... I mean, yeah, the statute of limitations is not going to allow that to stand, but that's still not the same thing. She would still be convicted of something. It just wouldn't be able to be penalized. So they just keep barreling along. And the defense knows what the prosecution is trying to do. And they say, your oath as jurors will not per permit you to convict her of murder because any prejudice you may have is against her moral, immoral life. So they're saying you can't convict her of murder just because you don't agree with her at keeping a fuck doll in the attic. The judge actually agrees with this and instructs the jury that they were to disregard the moral delinquencies of Mrs. Oystrike in their deliberations. So, again, we have this very balanced jury of six women and six men, and they start deliberating. And after a whopping two days of deliberation you guys that may be a new record but on the other side of what we usually see right two whole days and it's over a weekend they deliberate and they are deadlocked 10 to 2 most of them voting guilty of second degree murder on the many many votes they take and i have to say that i saw several accounts again this was the the secondary sources where they said uh that 10 of them voted for acquittal and but all the newspapers said every, I, I looked at multiple different newspapers and sources and they all said 10 of them voted uh guilty of second degree murder and to the extent that and i never do this but i was irritated the wikipedia article had it there too so i went and i fixed it 
I make my own facts. I don't make my own facts. I sourced it. I sourced it, okay? I sourced it to a newspaper clipping. So <laughs> from a valid newspaper, it's a valid source. Okay, so the jury, after three weeks of this trial, ends up deadlocked. So that's pretty much it for that trial. There is talk of a second trial. They do even set a date for it in October. And she's also got multiple civil suits against her, like from the owners of one of the houses that she leased. Uh, The suit was for misrepresenting the lease. So probably, uh, hey, you also had a guy up in the attic and uh, the lease was for two people, not three. So, Uh, or not, whatever. And also Shapiro was filing a suit against her that uh, somehow in the whole factory fire and the insurance that resulted from that she had cheated him which feels a little suspicious shapiro but that never actually came out the fire never the fire thing never led anywhere as far as i could tell so but again continuances delays she's even back behind bars for a little while as they wrangle this out until she postponed again And finally, in December, the DA dismisses the murder case on the grounds that they haven't found any new evidence since the original trial. So, Otto is free, and he goes on to basically just vanish. Uh, His wife had been standing by him throughout the whole ordeal, so it's likely they just went off to get some peace and quiet and lived a nice little life together. Did anyone look in the attic? I bet he's there. I know, right? He did really like addicts. Dolly is free. She went off and lived her life. Although, again, not without complications. More court appearances. There was wrangling with Shapiro over property until in 1932, she won property worth $90,000. That's $1.7 million today. And there were further issues. In 1935, he claimed, Shapiro claimed that she had threatened him and even that she and her business manager slash boyfriend, Ray Hedrick, had beat him up. Finally, things did quiet down, and she was still with Hedrick. Uh, he, he's the one who had the wife who filed the alienation of affection or love bomb suit in 1928. They had been together since then. They lived in Beverly Hills. He said, we have been sweethearts, you know, he said after 30 years. We have been sweethearts for more than 30 years. We met just after her husband's death and have been living together at the same address since before the murder trial. In the early 60s, she was in ill health due to cancer. They got hitched in 1961. And Hedrick said, we decided to marry now because Dolly is terribly ill and must go to the hospital. And as her husband, I will have the legal right to manage her estate, which runs into millions of dollars worth of property. And isn't that fucking romantic? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get being practical, but at the same time, like, because I love her, maybe, maybe that. Um, so, and actually, they very nearly weren't able to get the license, the marriage license, because the marriage license bureau at first was like, no, due to her physical condition. But a county ph- physician pronounced her mentally competent, so they got the license after over 30 years of a relationship and about two weeks of marriage. She died on April 8th, which was the very day I was writing this, in, but in 1961, not 2021. Wow, we've been working on this one for a while, I thought. <laughs> I know. It did feel like an eternity sometimes with all those suits and countersuits. <laughs> 
She was 80 years old and she left her estate to Hedrick. And that is all I have on Walburga Ostrich, except for I did want to get out all the names that the newspaper called Otto Sanhuber, the Garrett Ghost, Ghost Lover, Attic Hermit, Batman, Attic Phantom, and my absolute favorite, the Lonely Love Sentinel of Stygian Gloom. Ooh, that is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what did I miss? You guys got some stuff? There was actually a couple movies uh, that inspired The Bliss of Mrs. Blossom, uh, which I'm not even going to bother to watch. Uh, There's a 1953 film, Man in the Attic, but that isn't really the one that I'm looking at. There's There's one called Man in the Attic with Neil Patrick Harris. From 1995. I'm looking for that. I want to see that. And then in 2018, there was one called Lover in the Attic with Molly Burnett. Wow, this has been a popular uh, situation yeah. to get on film it's because it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you find that, uh, the, especially the Neil Patrick Harris one, I definitely want to see that. I think he's probably going to play that. the auto character. Yeah, I think he I think I remember seeing something about the movie and I think he did. Yeah, yeah. Amber, anything that I missed? Nope. Well, that's not enough time to pour a drink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. No, you're good. You're good. We're we're almost done. So I I, I poured a little bit, so I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) I love you guys. So, so yeah, that is uh, Walburga, Dolly, Ostrike, and her man of Stygian gloom up in the attic. So, if you liked that, and it was so messed up that you absolutely had to, and you're not the Patreon type, you can do, show us your appreciation another way. You can just give us a one-time donation uh, using our email address at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com over on PayPal. So, just do that, and you can send us anything. We'll take a buck, we'll take two bucks, whatever, you know, like, just throw your money at us, and it's fine. So, Um, But seriously, every little bit counts and is helpful. And we appreciate every single dime because, I mean, you don't have to. You're doing it because you love us. And so, therefore, we appreciate it. So, there's that. Don't forget to check out our social media. Uh, Scott is over there putting up media up on related to the cases on Facebook and on Twitter. So, check all of that out. And... Hmm. Oh, I'm over on uh, Chris Garcia's podcast, Short Story Short Podcast. So, you can listen to that. Oh, and this week. Last week? Yes. No, this week. If I have my dates right, make sure you keep an eye on your feed in the coming days because we have an event coming out that you are going to want to listen to. It is the old-timey, crimey, historical, true crime showcase where we have invited several other podcasts, all of them stellar and all of them interested in the same, you know, time period that we generally stick to, although we're, we're allowing people to go into like the, around 1970 or so, just because not everybody restricts themselves as much as we do. And you're going to hear little mini episodes from all of them. So you should, and from us also. So you should definitely keep an eye on your feed for that. Uh, I'll go ahead and say that we will put it out on Saturday. So the day after this comes out. Uh, on the 24th of April. So make sure you listen to that. 
we have a really interesting episode and then you're going to hear so many great mini episodes from other of our friends in the podcasting world. And we really can't wait to share this with you. It's been a, a little brainchild that I had like a couple months ago and it's, it's really coming to fruition and I am so, so excited. Seriously, some great podcasts and they've given us some really great material. So I cannot wait. Listen, listen, listen. And I've gone on long enough. Even if I have other bullshit, look at the show notes. If you want links to shit like merch and Amazon and all that wish list stuff. So, uh, what are we doing this week, guys? Um, I'm I'm doing schoolwork because I'm back in school again. So that's like I don't have anything exciting. I am the most boring human being ever these days. How do you, you think young Amber would feel? <laughs> no, oh. you just said that. She would be so disappointed in me. Um, but at least I'll be drinking while I do it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I think continuing your education is very exciting and you're doing it in something you're passionate about. So that's the great thing about getting older is that when you go back for education, you can really focus on things that you love. So it's, it's, it's a, it, 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 not that education during, you know, your years of like 18 to 22 standard traditional student time isn't fulfilling, but it's so much more fulfilling when you're chasing your passions, I think. And that dead silence tells me that you agree. No, like, <laughs> I, I have so many things I want to say, and most of them are shitty. So, like, I'm thinking about my 18 through 22, and, like, we don't even want to talk about that. And also, like, I part of the reason I'm going back to school is not really to, to follow my passions. Yes, it's something I'm passionate about, but it's mostly because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get fired soon. And so I'm just making a backup plan. But it's still something you're passionate about. So yes, you technically yes. are following your passion, even if you're also kind of being chased into that following. <laughs> so I am the dark cloud and Christy is the silver lining that's painting everything much prettier than it is. <laughs> Isn't that pretty much like the standard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's our standard. Scott, what are you up to? What's uh, your dark cloud? What's my dark cloud? Oh, God. Uh, it's hard no, to see. That. It's hard to see whenever the... Hard to see the dark cloud when everything around me is night. It's, um, I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing this week. I'm sure that there's a bunch of bullshit. Oh, one thing on Tuesday, I will be getting my second dose of the COVID vaccine. Hooray! Yay! Yay. So at that point, uh, like, I'm just going to go find somebody and, and like fuck them on the street because I can. Hopefully, and I. <laughs> I ain't touching her. Jackson. She's not vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, we had this this whole thing where anytime like the numbers got bad in our area during like the peaks of the of the pandemic, I would tell everybody, you know, like, okay, it's getting bad, so don't lick any doorknobs. And uh, so Jackson actually made a a, a list that we we share we can both contribute to and it's called doorknobs to lick. And it's mm. after we're, we're in the, the kind of mostly safe zone, you know, like very careful activities that we will actually go out and, and do. And that is, uh, that is exciting. So we're going to, we're going to go lick some doorknobs, but Be careful. Remember, yeah. There is a gestation period. That's like 14 days after you're vaccinated. <laughs> you just can't yeah, go fucking the- people on the street right away. You have to wait two weeks. 
boy, the, the, the cover of, of Time magazine is going to be a lot different than after World War II, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, then it was kissing a woman in the street. Now it's going to be the cover of the Time magazine is going to be fucking a woman in the street. So. Get in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm still in the gestation period as far as the, the second dose is concerned. And that's fine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm not going to be jumping to do all this stuff just yet. And even when I do, I'm going to be super safe about it. Uh, this week, I'm going to uh, work on getting the, the showcase together so that every, all of these other podcasts can put it into their feed and uh, we can all share each other's work with each other, which I'm super, super excited about. So, so yeah, I'll be doing that. And uh, we have a second secret project that we're going to be working on pretty soon here. So we're just piling up the secret projects to tantalize you with. But you'll see this one a lot sooner than the other secret projects. So uh, keep your keep your ears open for that because we'll be talking about it probably within uh, within a couple of weeks. We'll start introducing you to the concept, I, I should say, probably a couple of weeks a month, sometime in that next period. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff going on in old-timey, crimey world. It is good times and we're loving it. So, and we love you listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our filthy words. We really hope you enjoyed this one. It was a wild and crazy ride. And all I have to say is sure, Dolly. And thanks for listening to our filthy words. So bye. 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 My sources this week are Murderpedia, Nancy Bill Yu on Vintage News, Newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia. Like 10 different newspapers there. And that's it. My sources for this week are wikipedia.org, murderpedia.org, vintagenews.com, allthat'sinteresting.com, and a.wealtheditor.com. My sources this week are murderpedia.org, allthat'sinteresting.com by Aaron Kelly, atlasobscura.com by Addison Nugent, medium.com by Swati Suman. Mm-hmm.